kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! It's a little after 6.30 p.m. Uh, you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And winter has stayed around for a couple weeks here in Ann Arbor, kind of a refreshing change. The way I look at it, it's been cold uh, 12 of the last 14 days, real winter, but we even had a little January thaw. Some very foggy weather and uh, some disastrous traffic accidents. So slow down out there. Be aware of ever-changing weather conditions. And even when roads look like they've been cleared, remember blowing snow is a phenomena here in the state of Michigan. Well, and also black ice, too. Yeah, it's particularly yeah. treacherous. Uh, it refreezes again. Exactly. And so I think part of the problem with the, the number of accidents is that... Uh, Winter seems to be coming a little later yeah. uh, than it used to, and so people aren't as accustomed to it. It always takes a few weeks of driving in the stuff to get acclimated again to, okay, go a little slower, break a little earlier, and all that good stuff. But, uh, yeah, that incident on 75 in Detroit was just uh, a very bad weather day. Yeah, terrible. I was actually shoveling snow at uh, 7 in the morning and had to push a number of cars out of uh, ditches and whatnot on Miller Uh by the way, 30 degrees is usually, in my opinion, just because I'm a long-time cab driver in Ann Arbor and I've driven a lot in the winter, is 30 degrees is always the trickiest uh, temperature to deal with because you're basically getting a phenomena in physics. Yes, here on Gray Matters, we believe in science. 
the pressure of the cars, that's friction on the road, melts the snow and it turns to ice. It turns to a liquid, then it turns back to a solid. So a solid to a liquid, back to a solid, and 30 degrees is when the roads tend to be the most treacherous. Anyway, a brief comment about the Super Bowl. Um, not uh, so much the game, the sports aspect, uh, the advertisements, or uh, even the, the halftime show. religious significance? <laughs> or the even halftime show where hips are shaking and flesh is showing. Uh, the Super Bowl, of course, has become uh, pretty much the most watched TV show of the year. It's turned into a party day, uh, traditions, you know, parties and all that. It's great tradition. But uh, to uh, paraphrase the infamous counterintelligence expert from the CIA, James Jesus Angleton, the orchid man. I don't know if you remember his fascinating hobby with orchids, but that was one of his weird hobbies. Kind of a spooky man. He had two very famous comments about the CIA, he once said that the CIA was a room with many mansions. <laughs> and the other one was, I don't believe in coincidences. Well, look, I'm rooting for the 49ers. I'm, I don't have a dog in this fight to paraphrase James Baker uh, with a uh, comedy made about the uh, Balkan uh, civil war that was going on in the early 90s. But the blackout... The timing of the blackout was uh, a little mysterious. Uh, let's face facts here. Baltimore had returned the opening kickoff in the second half for a touchdown. San Francisco gets the ball back. It's third, and, and Kaepernick, I think, was actually sacked or, or stopped on a run. So it was third and long. All of a sudden, the, the lights go out. And for all intents and purposes, there's, a, there's another halftime. There's a 34-minute delay in the game. Professional football athletes are big men. They limber up for the second half. They're ready to go. And having a second long timeout hurt Baltimore physically and probably helped San Francisco psychologically because Baltimore's an older team. They're raring to go, and what do they got to do? Sit around and wait for the lights? There should be an investigation into this incident. Uh, at that point, Baltimore was going to beat the point spread. So I'm not talking about point spreads here. I'm talking about the impact on the game. It's no coincidence that immediately after that long delay, San Francisco started playing really well, and Baltimore lost all the momentum they had. It's an actual fact that uh, Joe Flacco, who won the MVP of the game and certainly deserved that, had not touched the ball because of the coincidence of halftime and the mm. opening kickoff and whatnot in almost 90 minutes. Now, if you're an athlete and you kind of lose some, you know, the warm-up factor, 90 minutes is an awful long time, and uh, it's... Very interesting that Baltimore began to struggle all of a sudden and the 49ers came on. I don't believe in coincidences. There needs to be an investigation into this. Well, the reports uh, coming out of New Orleans this afternoon uh, on CNN this afternoon were suggesting that it appears to have been not a failure within the building itself, the mm -hmm. Superdome, but with the power company that delivers. Yeah. Uh, and so... Who knows what the story is there, and that is indeed where the investigation should probably begin. 
but it struck me as somewhat ironic and almost ghostly uh, that this building, the Superdome, uh, which has seen its spot in the uh, American National News, uh, not just Mm -hmm. as a coliseum for uh, athletic events and sporting events, but for one of the most embarrassing uh, tragedies uh, in recent American memory, of Mm -hmm. course, the uh, Katrina uh, mass uh, herding of people up in there and their uh, ab- essentially Im- their abandonment uh, in that facility. It uh, made me think back to that. Well, that and also just remember that the Super Bowl is the most bet on event every year in the history of the world. <laughs> I don't know what the numbers are. There are some estimates that it's as high as $20 billion. Oh, yeah. And they, there are all kinds of bets on the Super Bowl. I don't want to go into all of the different weird things well, it's that all they've over. come it's, up with. It's, it's from top to bottom. It's, you know, yeah. uh, guys sitting next to each other in the bars. Yeah. It's uh, office pools all the way up to Vegas where, of course, it's all spread out. And you can bet on anything. Uh, you know, the first left-handed guy to catch a pass. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's like that line from Guys and Dolls <laughs> regarding... Uh, Oh, God. I don't remember even the name of the character that Sinatra plays in the musical. Oh, Nathan Detroit. Yeah, Nathan Detroit. The other guy. I'll bet on anything. Yeah. He'll bet on whether it's going to rain on Tuesday next week. Well, I guess uh, henceforth they can bet on will there be power for the second half of the game. Well, I think there needs to be a serious investigation into this event uh, incident because uh, it has, of course, happened uh, occasionally on in regular season games, but... Uh, very suspicious. And by the way, it didn't have anything to do with the halftime show, uh, as some people initially thought. All the power right. that yeah, was that used was uh, individually generated by separate units. Yeah. So, uh, very strange incident indeed. Well, uh, <clears throat> moving on to real news, <laughs> real subjects. Uh, kind of fascinating to see. How easily John Kerry sailed through the uh, confirmation process last week. No surprise there. Uh, I've argued John Kerry is actually one of our finest public servants in the last 30 years. But it's interesting that uh, two of the three no votes were the two senators from Texas, uh, obviously dependent on swift boat financing. So if you'll recall, uh, that's where the swift boat money came from in the 2004 election. Uh, no grounds to vote no on John Kerry. So we'll give uh, both uh, Cruz and uh, John Cornyn brain damage awards. Uh, money before honor. That's uh, their motto. Uh, <clears throat> then there's Chuck Hagel. Yeah, that's right. Much more interesting. Uh, Nebraska Republican Deb Fisher calls uh, far to the left of Obama. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> she clearly has her uh, directional indicators uh, mixed up. Yeah, she's uh, obviously been sitting in the tractor uh, too long. Uh, maybe if you're in reverse, I guess. I don't. <laughs> well, uh, remember, uh, they're not the stupid party. They're the really stupid party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, reminds me of that Monty Python skit where they do election returns. Um, oh, the loony party. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of parties like that. <laughs> But anyway, getting back to Chuck Bagel, uh, Chuck Bagel, <laughs> Chuck Hagel, a former Republican from Nebraska. Of course, uh, the media said that he took a beating on in the hearings. Uh, he didn't seem well prepared. 
And yeah, there probably was an element where uh, Hegel was probably, uh, to make an analogy, sort of like a prize fighter waiting for the bell to ring, you know, to get back to the uh, corner to towel off, get some water, and stitched up. But uh, this uh, new theory that the surge worked, that's one of what I'm going to pick up on here, yeah. is absolutely preposterous. Uh, I think that Hegel actually answered the question pretty well. He said, well, we'll let history be a judge of that. Uh, John McCain, who uh, is still, after these many, many months, looking for his space helmet, and along with Lindsey Graham, his reliable sidekick, uh, who was asking questions about the uh, Israeli lobby uh, that were off base, uh, getting back to the surge, it's just factually inaccurate to claim that the surge worked. It worked to some extent. Hegel answered the question pretty well. He said, well, a thousand Americans that died, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you be the judge. Of course, he's, what did we get at the end of the day? Yeah, for the surge. And of course, he's only arguing from the uh, American perspective. There were thousands of Iraqis killed during the surge, and facts are facts. America replaced withdrawing coalition forces. Right. You will recall that George Bush came up with that wonderful phrase, "the coalition of the willing." <laughs> to explain the war to the American people. Well, uh, surge was essentially a marketing ploy. Well, it to was. To use that term. Because it's interesting, um, the... Uh, <clears throat> I've got an article here that I'm going to read some paragraphs from because I think it's one of the best things I've read in maybe the last decade in terms of an essay. It appeared in the uh, April 3rd edition of the New York Review of Books entitled Euphemism and American Violence um, by David Bromwich. And uh, he talks specifically about the surge as a euphemism, among other things. He uh, mentions Orwell in the uh, famous essay, The Politics of Politics and the English Language, mm -hmm. uh, in which euphemisms are used to describe atrocities that are occurring in civil wars and war crimes and whatnot. But it's very interesting. He writes, uh, there was a brief contest over surge, the word so ordinary yet so odd a word, the rival term emphasized by critics. The war was, quote, escalation, unquote, a word that owes its grim connotations to Vietnam, something that Chuck Hagel knows all about. Bromwich continuing here, the architects of the surge, Frederick Keegan, Kagan, excuse me, and retired General Jack Keane fought hard to stop the mass media from switching to escalation. Their wishes were granted almost without exception. And to clinch the optimistic consensus, the New York Times on the 7th or the 30th of July 2007 published an extraordinary op-ed by Kenneth Pollack and Michael O'Hanlon praising the progress of the surge. The author's supporters of the war, who were permitted falsely to describe themselves as skeptics, wrote that they confessed after an eight-day army-guided tour from which they had neither the enterprise nor the resources to step out and seek information on their own. But now it seems likely that with the help of the surge, the word, as much as the thing, 2008, will end up 
with as many troops in Iraq as 2006. The facts are the number of American troops, of course, did go up, but they replaced withdrawing coalition forces. Yes, there was a small increase in uh, the number of troops. um, Total numbers. Total numbers on the ground. But one ignores the actual fact that the real success of the, quote, surge didn't have much to do with the escalation of American troops on the ground. It actually had to do with outright bribery. Uh, The American government appropriated an unknown quantity of cash to pay off uh, roughly 80,000 Sunni Arabs, called the Sunni Awakening. Mm -hmm. Uh, How interesting that euphemism, once again, bribery is turned into the awakening. Man, I want to go to one of them awakenings. Well, if you think back to, uh, you know, the Vietnam War, uh, Nixon could claim to be bringing the boys home while escalating the air war. Sure. And so it's a sleight of hand. It's a misuse of language. Uh, It's no surprise, but it is, I guess, upsetting that so many people bought into the term surge. Uh, you know, the embedding of troops. There's another useful term. Mm-hmm. Uh, co-opting might be another uh, alternative to or embedding. 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 Yeah, and, and of course the uh, euphemism used, by the way, for the Nixon escalation was Vietnamization. Right. <laughs> uh, that was a clever word since Nixon promptly invaded Cambodia, well, first bombing it, then invading Cambodia. Cambodia, well, of course, being in the news recently because Prince Sihanouk, uh, who was overthrown mm-hmm. with the assistance of uh, <clears throat> the CIA and the Richard, uh, the government of Richard Nixon, um, because he was part of the non-aligned movement and also actively working behind the scenes for a negotiated settlement, uh, that, of course, led to the civil war in Cambodia. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people died uh, from the Carpet bombing of Cambodia is documented by William Shawcross and uh, Stanley Carnau, who, by the way, just passed away a couple of uh, weeks ago. Haven't talked uh, about him. But, uh, yeah, that led to the Civil War, which led to the Khmer Rouge, the killing fields, etc., etc. It was the destabilization of Cambodia initiated by the American government that led to many of the tragedies that ensued. Vietnamization. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're not using that term uh, in Afghanistan. But it's the same basic uh, goal there is to uh, step down American troops and increase the numbers of Afghani government troops. Although, to what extent uh, tribal groupings can be uh, distinguished from uh, legitimate and official uh, government forces in Afghanistan is, is another question altogether. Anyway, I highly recommend this essay by David Bromwich, Euphemism and American Violence. Um, Some other uh, sort of really, I don't know, telling uh, paragraphs that he's got. I wanted to read a couple of these because I think uh, it's fantastic analysis, um, including uh, a a point where Tony Blair, after five years, (laughs) apparently described the war in Iraq as a short, sharp war. Um, Hmm. Yeah, when uh, we look at Afghanistan, by the way, uh, we, we continue to get the line that we've been there 11 years, but the facts are we've been destabilizing Afghanistan since 1979. Right. 
Um, that's going on over 30 years. This is going to last longer than the war. The war is in Indochina. Um, and that's not euphemism. That's historical facts <laughs> that have been discarded by people that are reporting that Chuck Hagel took a beating at the hearings. Well, he took some punches. I think he basically didn't respond to a bunch of rubbish. It's my analysis of uh, some of the things. And who cares about the whether or not the surge worked? Like Hagel said, it is going to be left to the historians to determine those facts. That's not his job in the in the future. His job is to uh, de-escalate in Afghanistan and come up with the budget cuts. Right. And this is, of course, the reality that uh, is just completely absent in any discussion whatsoever in Congress these days. There's uh, Wayne LaPierre uh, making all sorts of proposals to counteract the uh, sudden movement for some reasonable gun control. They all cost amazing amounts of money. And involve uh, the purchase of guns. No. The main function of his actual lobby. No discussion of the costs, for instance, of arming 98,000 teachers, which has got to be one of the most absurd proposals I've ever heard in my lifetime. I don't know how that works or why it would even be considered a, a policy. It's unbelievable. But getting back to Bromwich, I wanted to read this paragraph. He says, Americans are more susceptible to such devices regarding euphemism. Democracy exists in a continuous complicity with euphemism. There are so many things. The staring of inequality, for example, about which we feel it right not to want to speak gratingly. One result is a habit of circumlocution that is uh, at once adaptable and self-deceptive. Their own appropriation of their own facts, wrote Edmund Burke, of the people in a democracy, quote, has the appearance of a public judgment in their favor. Since people are not always right, but are always by definition in the majority, their self-approbation, Burke added, tends to make them shameless and therefore fearless, the stratagems of a leader in a democracy include giving the people a name for everything, but doing so in a way that maintains their own approbation of their own facts, thus a war that people trust their government to wage, over which we have no control, but about which we would prefer to think happy thoughts, gives us the wide possible spoke to the exercises of euphemism. I think that's really well put. It's the fact that we don't want to think anymore about the goings-on in Iraq in which a trillion dollars was spent uh, for John McCain and Lindsey Graham to kind of start to portray this as a big success uh, is remarkable since uh, we've seen that many of the jihadists uh, that uh, developed from the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, as odious as he was, have moved on to Syria. They, of course, have been advocates of violence and war mongering in Syria and Iran, which Chuck Hagel is obviously opposed to. That's why they're going after Chuck Hagel. Now, I don't think Chuck Hagel will determine events either in Syria or Iran, but let's hope he has more of an influence than either Lindsey Graham or, or John McCain. Uh, because they are simply wrong about any uh, American involvement in 
regime change, which of course is another euphemism, uh, in those countries. Yeah. Haven't they had enough? <laughs> Haven't their votes for the Afghan war and the Iraq war proven that they are simply men that do not know what's going on in the world? Well, one would think, but you can't rely on guys who don't have a clue to get a clue that they don't have a clue. So it's uh, unlikely that they'll wise up anytime soon. But the fact that Hegel is a former Republican, uh, the good old-fashioned sort of middle-of-the-road Republican, uh, by and large. And plenty hawkish. He voted, plenty for, the, hawkish, yeah, he sure. voted for the war in Iraq. Yeah, uh, Not a big supporter of the surge, but for the initial war. Um and so uh, perhaps they're uh, uncomfortable with the uh, prospect of a, even a former, if not a current fellow Republican, being in a position to make budget cuts in the Pentagon, which, of course, Republicans uh, always run from. They're very happy to cut social spending and funding for schools and whatnot, uh, but uh, never the military cuts. And, of course, we're on the edge of uh, major skirmishing within the Republican Party itself, as Karl Rove is taking some uh, hits from the uh, teabaggers uh, for his attempt to uh, sort of exclude that extreme right wing from his grand old party. Uh, we'll see where that takes the uh, the Republican gang in the uh, months to come. Yeah. And, it, you know, just for the record, there actually actually have been a few Republicans that have announced they are going to vote for uh, Chuck Hagel, including um, fellow Nebraska Republican uh, Mike Johans, who, of course, was famously nobody knows this. but He was the secretary of agriculture uh, during the George W. Bush administration. Hmm. I don't remember him at all as secretary of agriculture. Uh, he may have been the architect of the ethanol pro uh, program. Uh, who knows? And then, of course, Thad Cochran, who, other than Orrin Hatch, he's ancient. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's one of those guys who's been there so long, I don't remember anything he's ever sponsored. But he represents Mississippi. He has a safe seat, so he doesn't have to worry about being outflanked on the right. Uh, Johans, of course, probably can count on the patriotism of Cornhuskers, the state of Nebraska, that's their nickname, um, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, of course, they're in the Big Ten, U of M plays them in major women's and men's sports in Big Ten competition, I think he can count on uh, being a reliable Cornhusker, and that won't hurt him either, but it's interesting that they are the only, at this point, the only two announced Republicans that say they're going to vote for Hagel. Um I don't know. I guess if they filibuster the Hegel nomination, Obama ought to appoint Dennis Kucinich as Secretary of Defense. <laughs> there. How do you like them apples? <laughs> that would be an interesting debate. Then we might actually have, instead of a, <clears throat> a prize fighter that's uh, waiting for the bell to ring, we might actually have some bells ringing in the, yeah. <laughs> in the Senate hearings. We might actually have a debate about an actual verbal slugfest. John McCain and Lindsey Graham's revisionism about the war on terror and how successful it's been. Uh, we've spent uh, several billion dollars in Afghanistan and Iraq, and last time I checked, there's plenty of violence going on in both places. Uh, there's no success of the surge. 
for for I mean all intents and purposes the reason there was success was as I said bribe outright bribery and probably to some extent there was an, a a a uh, just an exhaustion factor and it was just a matter of people running out of gas in terms of the of the of the car bombs and the IEDs and the sectarian violence one million orphan children in the in the in the sovereign nation of Iraq have occurred as the result of the Iraq war. I heard this on BBC two weeks ago. There's orphanages in Iraq where there are one million children who have lost one parent or both parents. It's remarkable that this can be portrayed as a success. No, but but we tore the statue of Saddam Hussein down. <laughs> it was pulled down. <laughs> With about... 13 people standing there watching well and and the american tanks doing the grunt work yeah they made sure that the media got lots of cheering uh iraqi uh, people in the foreground and the background to make it look like it was a spontaneous well event. that whole thing was just fraught with uh stagecraft yeah uh the mission accomplished even the you know folksy smoke them out of their holes uh rhetoric from uh w and uh, of course, the uh, the bent statue. <laughs> Get bent, Saddam. Well, and they and didn't indeed. they didn't they put an American flag over his head first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where was the car battery? I don't know. And then of course they claim to have found him in a hole. Yeah, and uh, that's been questioned. I think he was put in the hole for a photo op to be seen coming out of the hole. He was smoked into the hole. That's right. <laughs> We're gonna smoke him out of their holes. Well, uh, you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'd like to thank Andrew for engineering this evening. Wanted to remind you, by the way, that fundraiser will be next week. Uh, so uh, tune in once again. We'll have uh, shorts, I think. Yeah, you should go with the uh, oddball items. And uh, your support is greatly appreciated. Uh, the station needs the listeners starts, to keep it going. Fundraiser starts Friday. And by the way, we're sponsoring a little uh, concert uh, at the Blind Pig on Thursday night. Doors open at 9. Looks like a punk show. I think we're uh, going to be uh, treated to uh, between set spinning by one of the uh, Crush Collision fellows. So uh, <clears throat> tune in to WCBN over the next uh, couple of weeks for fine fundraising program that's always very special. There's a substitute ready and raring to go down in the studio of uh, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. So do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling coming up next. Come all you West Virginia gals and listen to my noise. Don't you court these West Virginia boys. If you do, your portion will be cornbread and bacon, you will see. Cornbread and bacon, you will see. When you go a court and they will set you a chair. Good evening, you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, 88.3 MHz on the far left-hand side of the dial. This is Yazoo City Calling, normally hosted by Jerry Mack since 1988, but my name is Weston Hughes and I'll be your host this evening. If you have a request, you may call 734-763-3500 and I'd be glad to take your call. Stay tuned. 
leather tail coat all ready to tear. Old leather boots with the top turned down. Pair of cotton socks that they wear year round. Pair of cotton socks that they wear year round. When they go to store, they take a turn of corn. Pad of salty butter, ice fresh from the chair. Storekeeper says you haven't got enough for a plug off the backer and a bill of snuff. 